If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 1, please. You know, there are, are some times in which I'm thankful that you don't have to see what I see <laughs> as pastor. Some days there are, are difficult days, but there are other days in which, I re, in which I wish you really could see what I see. As I look around this morning, knowing what some of you are struggling with and watching you lift up your hands and voices to the Lord in faith, I wish you could, I could explain to you and articulate properly what that does to me. To be able to gather together and to hear the voices of one church behind me, a church that I love and that has loved me and has loves one another. That's the picture, y'all. That's the picture. So this morning we are starting the big story turns to the major prophets. And we're going to begin with Jeremiah. We'll spend the next four weeks in Jeremiah, then we'll turn to Ezekiel. Jeremiah is the longest book of your Bible. It makes up more than 5% of the entire Bible. So we're, we're just going to get the 500-foot view in four weeks, all right? All right, this morning we're looking at Jeremiah's call in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah talking, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were consecrated, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you on this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would answer your call. Just like Jeremiah, so many thousands of years ago, when he heard your voice, responded in obedience, I pray this morning that we would hear from your word, your voice, through your spirit, and that, Lord, our hearts would be to respond in a spirit of obedience. I pray, Lord, that whatever you have laid out before us to do with our lives, that we would see them as not being accidental or incidental, but providential, and that, Lord, we would honor you in all of our ways and honor you with all of our thoughts and honor you with all of our heart by seeking to live a life that is worthy of the calling that, is, that we have received through Christ Jesus, as Paul writes. Lord, I am so thankful that I am a part of this particular church family, and I pray your blessings over my people that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give me a voice to speak, and that, Lord, your spirit would bond us in spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you will remember the film from 1993 called Groundhog Day. And there's probably a lot of you here who weren't even a thought in your mother's head in 1993, too. Um, but you'll remember in that, in the movie Groundhog Day, and in the movie, the plot was really fascinating. 
So it was about a, a weatherman, and his least favorite of day of the year was Groundhog Day because he was sent for four years in a row by his TV station to go and to cover Poxitani Field to see whether or not he would see his shadow and whether or not spring would come early or stay late. And so he, would, he, would, he wakes up, and he's griping, and he's grumbling, and he's angry, and he's frustrated because he went to school to study the science of meteorology, and here he is, his his employer sending him to go and study a ground rat instead to see if the ground rat can train him in how to predict the weather. And so he grumbles and he groans and he vows that he's going to leave his job and he's going to have a different life and a new life and he's going to wake up the next day and do something different with himself. But when he wakes up the next day, his radio station that he has on his clock radio. Do y'all remember a clock radio? I mean, that's, a, that's kind of an afterthought now, right? But he has a clock radio, if you can remember such an antique as that. And it wakes him up to the exact same uh, voice saying the exact same thing that it had said the morning before. And he thinks he's having a deja vu moment and he wakes up and he goes about his day. And everywhere that he goes, the same people are doing the same things and saying the same things in all of the same places. And he wakes up and it happens again and it happens again and it happens again. And so what he's able to realize is that he's stuck in some kind of time loop in which he's living at the same day over and over and over again. And he's not just living any day over and over and over again. He's living his least favorite day over and over again. And life feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Life feels that way sometimes. It feels like you just wake up, rinse, and repeat. Like your life is just something that happens to you. As though you are some spectator on the outside going through the, the motions. Maybe your life even feels for you like it's some sentence that you're having to endure. Well, Jeremiah helps us to understand that's not the case. Jeremiah, I think, helps us to begin understanding the purpose behind all of our lives. Because if there was ever someone who lived a life that felt more like a sentence to endure than a life to enjoy, it would have been the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a long ministry, but it is a miserable one. One that becomes much more famous for his tears as the weeping prophet than for his parties as the celebrated revelation of God. And what we see in Jeremiah chapter 1 is how God calls Jeremiah into this difficult ministry and into this difficult life in which he will bear the burden of the call of God upon his life. And seeing that, we can see the specifics for our life and what the call of God, the anatomy of a call of God in our own lives. And so what Jeremiah shows us about the call of God and the call of God in each of us individually is that God appoints. God appoints. You know, I was born in 1986 to Jimmy and Kelly Hill. For a lot of you, that's, that's not news. I was raised in Rabbit Town, Alabama. I graduated in 2004 from White Plains High School. On my 10th birthday, our house burned down. And as a result of that, we ended up in a new church, and it was this one. When I was growing up, the, other than my dad, the single person that I spent the most time around was my granddad. I called him Pawpaw, right? A good old southern granddaddy named Pawpaw. And I love spending my time around my Pawpaw. My Pawpaw, to this day, is one of the most brilliant men that I've ever known. And at the same time, he was just the most remarkable storyteller. He loved to tell stories and to tell tall tales and to laugh. And we were a perfect match because I loved to listen to them and I loved to laugh at them. 
And so hours and hours of, of the day would be spent, just he and I, weeks at a time, just telling stories about what happened in the Korean War and what happened in his sharecropping days and when he ran a still of moonshine and all the things that he did or did not do, I still cannot really confirm, right? But you know, he wasn't my granddad because of biology. Technically, he really wasn't my granddad at all. He really came into our family. I never knew any differently, but he was a part of our family because of dysfunction that existed in our family. Dysfunction that, that my dad had to deal with and endure in his growing up. And so we come to a biography like Jeremiah's, and we come to a biography like mine, and we come to a biography like yours, and there's really only two ways in which we can interpret that biography. One, it's an accident. It just happened. It just so happened that you are where you are, that you are who you are, and that you're doing what you're doing. Or it's providential. That is providence. That there is a designer and there is an engineer and that these things have been orchestrated in an eternity past that which we are living now that we might experience, know, and glorify God with our lives. That we can look at my life and my biography and we could say that our house burned down because it was struck by lightning chance. We can say that we, I lived in White Plains by chance. You can say that I was born to, uh, to Jimmy and Kelly Hill by chance. Or you can say that all of those things came to be so that the Lord would bring me to this particular church which I might pastor in adulthood you can say that my granddad was just something that happened that the relationship that we happened was just by mere proximity and the, the luck of the draw or you can say that the dysfunction that my dad endured was not in vain and that at least a part of it was that I would learn how to tell an interesting story and love to be able to tell them to another generation that God might be preparing me to preach the gospel his name and glory and so you have to answer that question for yourself and that is going to have a great deal to say whether or not you feel called to your life or not whether you feel like there is purpose in your life or not is your life accidental or is your life providential see jeremiah's biography shows us the truth about ours that we are handcrafted that we are handcrafted jeremiah was 20, a 20-year-old 20 prophet at about the same time that Josiah, who we've studied the last two weeks, was a 20-year-old king. He was born in an unusual way for any of the other prophets, best we can tell, into a priestly family. And so he, he lived in Anathath, where all of the priestly families lived. And you can say, and it looks like maybe it is just some kind of chance, except God tells us different than that. God says something other than that about Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you, I knew you. That in other words, it's not just some chance that he ends up in Anathath. It's not just some chance that he's ruling at the same time as Josiah. It's not just some chance that, he's the, that he was born into a priestly family. That his biography had been formed in the hands of God. That he already knew Josiah's days, or Jeremiah's days, even before anybody, or including Jeremiah's very own mama, even knew who he was. That God already knew. That God is saying from the outset of Jeremiah's call, I have created you to be, to exist at this particular time, at this particular place, as this particular purpose for a particular work. And brothers and sisters, I believe that is true of every single one of us. 
You see, there was a reason that he was born at the same time as Josiah. His life would be much longer than Josiah's and his, his reign as prophet would last much longer. And so he would see in the time of Josiah the covenant being renewed and the good offer of God that was made to his people. The one that his people ultimately reject, would reject and rebel against him. And he would go through the sons of Josiah who were unfaithful kings, who were wicked means. And here he would be one of the rare prophets who would see his own words of prophecy be fulfilled as the people of God in Jeremiah's day would be marched out at the end of his life into Babylon and captivity. There was a reason because he was intended to be the prophet that would bridge the gap, that would take the people of God and show them what they could have had, what they will ultimately have, but then what they will one day know again. It wasn't a chance that there, he was born in Anathath to a priestly family. Do you know what one of the primary ministries of Joseph, Jeremiah's prophecy is as you read through the book? is he is responsible most pointedly to preach to the priests, to tell them that they're heretics, to tell them that they're blasphemers, to tell them that they are desecrating the altars of God, to tell them that they are leading and shepherding the people of God away from the glory of God, that he is the one who must stand against his neighbors and stand up in the midst of his family and stand up in the midst of his own people and say, you have forsaken the Lord. There was a reason that he was born during Josiah's time. There was a reason that he was born to his mama and his daddy. There was a reason that he lived in the city in which he lived. And brothers and sisters, there is a reason for you too. That our lives and our circumstances are intertwined with the call of God on our lives. That God is using the circumstances of our lives and the dealings of our lives and the sufferings of our lives and even the dysfunctions of our families. I've shared with you about mine, to position us and to prepare us for the work that he has for us. That every single one of us have been born at this particular time to be these particular people in this particular place for a particular work in the glory of God. See, it's easy for us, I think, to think that we're just mass-produced in some human factory up in heaven. That like some image of the North Pole, you have all of the elves up in heaven taking the arms and the legs and the heads and the torsos and gluing them together and then just throwing them to some random place on earth and life happens to you. But God would say, no, 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 I formed you. I knew you. None of this was an accident. That you were born to your mom and your dad on purpose and you were born in your uh, your place of raising on purpose and you were given the gifts and kept from the gifts that were given or kept from you on purpose that all of these things were not true that what the Lord was doing was not mass producing you but handcrafting you and he's using the circumstances of your life and the hardships of your life and he's using the relationships that you've had and the relationships that you've wanted to have and the, and the difficult days and the sleepless nights. And he's taking all of those things together and he's forming in you the person that he's created you to be to live out the call that he has given to you. But you're not just handcrafted, we're handpicked. We're not just handcrafted, we're handpicked. We can't miss this in Jeremiah's story. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew. Now, to know in the Old Testament or in the Bible, it means much more than to know the biographical facts of another person. Like I know a lot about Abraham Lincoln. I listened to a whole long podcast about him not that long ago. He's an amazing man. But I didn't know Abraham Lincoln, right? And so when 
God tells Jeremiah, I knew you. He's not saying, I just knew all the things that you would be. He's not saying, I just knew all of, of what you would accomplish or what you wouldn't accomplish. I, I knew that you would be able to run a 4640 or a 5-5-40 or whatever it is that you... Like, he knew a lot more about him than we know about NFL players after the combine, right? What he's saying there is, I knew you as my son. I knew you as one of my people. I knew you as part of my family, that before you were born, I already knew you. You were one of mine. He goes further. And before you were born, I consecrated you. To consecrate means to set apart, to make distinct. And so, so before you were born, I knew you. I knew that you were one of mine. And before you were born, I set you apart. I handpicked you for a particular work. I handpicked you to be a mouthpiece to my people. And then he goes even further. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That I set you aside. I handpicked you that you might be my mouthpiece to a generation. That what we see here is God's electing, choosing love. But what we see is that those whom God chooses, he doesn't just choose to receive grace. He chooses that they might be instruments of grace. That they might be utilized in his will to proclaim his name and to make known his ways and to offer uh, grace and good news to people. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. As hard as his ministry is, he's going to offer good news. And he's going to say, even now, if you would repent, even now, if you would turn back, even now, if you would desecrate all of these false idols and give your heart wholly to the Lord, even now, the Lord would receive you. This is a message of good news. And so here we see that what God is doing in Jeremiah's life is the same thing that he does in mine and your life. Now, it's important for us as we think about the call that we have here in Jeremiah to recognize that he is an old covenant prophet, okay? And, and whenever we're reading the call of an old covenant prophet, we have to say, okay, how does that apply to us as new covenant people in the ordinary life? You aren't going to receive a revelation from God that says, thou shalt be my prophet to the nations. I have consecrated thee. Like, that's not going to happen in your life. We, we know that in the new covenant that Jesus is the great prophet. He is the fulfillment of all the prophets that, that were to come. And we go to him for a prophet. But I do think, I do think there is an application that's here for us in Jeremiah's call for our call. First of all, what I want you to recognize is that we all have been called to a general call in a particular life. We all have the general calls of God in our, that have been given to us through his word that are meant and intended to be lived out in our individual and specific lives. Nobody else can do that but you. You've been called to do it. In other words, here, here's some examples. The, the Bible tells us that you have been called to be holy. You've been called to be holy. And you have been called specifically to be holy in the life that God has given to you. You have been called to be holy in your parenting to your kids. You've been called to be holy to be ho in your relationship with your wife, with your husband. You've been called to be holy in your workplace, in your high school. And nobody else can do it but you. Not only have you been called to be holy, you've been called to be filled with the Spirit. You've been called to manifest the fruit of the Spirit of, of gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and patience and, and goodness and love. You've been called by God to be filled with the Spirit to a point that His fruit pours out of you in every relationship that you have. And guess what? You, only you, are called to do that in your individual life. 
You're called to do that in your home. You're called to do that among your family. You're called to do that in your workplace. You're called to do that among, among the neighbors that God has given to you. You're, you're called to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And only you can do that in your life. You're called to go and to make disciples of all nations. But you, you have specifically been given influence over certain people in your life. People that I can never reach, you can reach. And people that you can never reach, I can reach. Because God has called me to do it. And God has called you to do it. So the answer, the question, is not whether or not you have a call on your life. Brother, sister, you have a call on your life. The question is, is will you heed the call? Will you heed the call? So, so all of us have the general calls of God that are intended to be lived through our individual lives. But then secondly, what I want you to see is you, you may have a special call of God for a particular work of God that we see in the New Testament. That is, I feel like very strongly that the Lord has called me to preach. It's a particular call, right? It's a specialized call. I feel very strongly that the Lord has called me not just to preach, but to preach in this place. And one of the reasons that I started our uh, our start with the word this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, is that's what Paul's talking about, right? Paul's talking about, I've been called, I've been directed, and God called me into relationship with you, Timothy, and God called me to be an apostle, and God called me to suffer in the ways of the cross, and God has called you, Timothy, to go and to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you, and to go forth as a pastor in Ephesus to do the same thing. And so you may have a particular call on your life. God may be calling you to be a missionary, and you're scared to death. God may be calling you to pastor, and God may be calling you to preach, and you don't even know where the starting line is for that. God may be calling you to plant a church, or God may be calling you to adopt someone into your family. God may have a great and particular call on your family, and you should answer. Now, what do we, how do we know? I think there's some questions that we can ask. How do you know if God has one of these particular calls on your life? Well, I think, first of all, you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're thinking about is in alignment with God's word. Okay, God is not going to ever call you out of alignment with what he has already said. He is not going to be a contradiction to himself. Secondly, do you have a great desire for the word? Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that those who aspire to the office of overseer desire inwardly a good word. Do you have an inward desire? Do you feel an inward passion bubbling up for you? Do you have a great burden for whatever it is that God's calling you to do? We're certainly going to see this in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not going to sleep. He's going to weep. He's going to sob. He's going to cry. What is it that is breaking your heart, that is broken inside of you? Is, is it the hunger crisis? Is it, is it the homelessness that you see around you? Is it, is it the lostness that's in the Middle East? Is it the, is it the pervasiveness of the LDS uh, cult in Salt Lake City? Is it, is it the, the, the need for preachers to stand up? and pro- What is it that's burdening you, that's, that's putting fire in your bones? Do other spiritually mature Christians recognize that this call may be in your life? That one of the ways that God often confirms is the laying on of hands, particularly in the life of an elder or a preacher or a pastor. But I think this is across the board generally true of, of anyone who has a particular call from God. If every spiritually wise person you know is waving their hands and saying, I don't think this is the way, I don't think this is the way, you ought to stop, pause, and look. And then finally, I think this is an important question. Are you willing to do it even if it costs you everything? Are you willing to do it even if it costs you everything? Even if it costs you an easier life? Even if you're not able to be paid to do it? Even if you have to move away from your family to do it? Even if you're, you have to forsake every comfort, every, every familiarity that you've ever known, are you willing to do it because you want to go and it's something that God has placed inside of you? Oh, brother, 
sister, if this is the case, will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? I wonder if there might be some here this morning and immediately you feel overwhelmed. You sense God calling you to a new and fresh work. You sense perhaps God calling you to a particular work in his line of ministry or in your life. And you feel overwhelmed because what you would immediately say is, I don't know how. I can't do that. Can I tell you? You better be careful because you're exactly where God would have you to be. Because in the anatomy of a call, we don't just see that God appoints. We see that God qualifies. We see that God qualifies. I love verse 6 because I can identify with verse 6. And it's something that pops up throughout the Bible over and over and again. So God comes to Jeremiah and he says, I formed you, I knew you, I appointed you. You're going to be a prophet on, uh, for my name to my people. It's going to be a hard ministry, but it's going to be your ministry. And you know what Jeremiah says? Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. In other words, what he says is, you got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong guy. And if you read throughout the Bible, people that God calls to do a great work, inevitably, almost universally, they all, like Abraham and Sarah, start laughing. There's just no way. You've got the wrong guy. Think of Moses. I stutter, Lord. What do you, you, you want me to go and lead your people out of the hands of the most powerful army on earth? I can't even talk straight. And here's Jeremiah saying, what are you talking about, God. I can't rub two syllables together. Like, I'm still wet behind the ears. I don't even have life experience. What do you expect from me? But what Jeremiah is going to find out is what I have found out, is what Christians across every generation have found out, that God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. That is, he equips them. He equips them. You'll see there in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. So, so when you, God, it's important to recognize, doesn't go to Jeremiah and call Jeremiah to be a prophet because Jeremiah is already a prophet. God says, I'm calling you to be a prophet, not because you are a prophet, but because I'm going to make you a prophet. Think about this in the New Testament context. Jesus doesn't go and find his disciples and say, ah, finally, I have found all the apostles. Now will you go and be my apostles? He says, no, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you apostles. That God isn't going and seeking out qualified people because if God was on a mission to seek out qualified people, he wouldn't find any. God is going to seek out those who will obey him in faith. Follow him in obedience, and he will do all of the making. He will give you all of the equipment necessary to fulfill the call that he is going to bring out in you. He does this for Jeremiah. When he says, do not say, for I am only a youth, for to all I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. He's giving to Jeremiah the substance of his call. He's saying, I know you don't have a clue what you're doing. I know you're only a kid of 20 years old. I know that you'd rather be at home, you know, playing Madden or whatever it is that kids do these days. He said, but I'm going to tell you where to go. You just go there. I'm going to tell you what to say. Just go there and say that. You do what I have laid out for you to do and you're going to be fine. See, brothers and sisters, your ineptitude does not disqualify you from the work of God. Your ineptitude discredits you. And that's good news. 
Because it creates the space in your life for other people to be able to look in and to know that only a God as great as our God could have done such a work through somebody like you. That this ineptitude discredits you so that all credit, all glory, all honor might be given to the one who is actually worthy, who is actually able, who is actually qualified, but willing to use you and me. Yeah, I think about this in, in my life. If you go back and you look at the youth ministry here at Iron City when I was growing up, I can name 20, 20 that were, would have been more effective, that were more gifted to be pastors than me. 20. As a matter of fact, I, I laugh about this sometimes. There's a bunch of us that felt like God had called us to the ministry back then. And there was a thing back then that they don't really do now. It's called licensing them to preach, right? And what that was is it was kind of the church's way of saying, we think that the God's call may be on your life. Okay, and so we licensed a bunch of those guys to preach. And out of all the crew that felt like God might be calling them into the ministry, there was only one that wasn't licensed to preach. And it was me. And I don't blame a single person. I showed no potential. I showed no potential. Let me give you an example. I was about 15 when I felt like the Lord might be moving me into ministry. But there was a problem. I was petrified, petrified to speak in front of anybody. And I know you don't believe me, but I'm telling you this is the God's honest truth. There, there, I, I don't, is Circle of Champions still a thing? Is that still a thing? I don't know if that's still a thing. There used to be this thing called Circle of Champions, and what they would do is they would go and they would find athletes at the high schools that were Christians, and you would share your testimony. And I remember that they, I, I was <laughs> athlete in quotation, right? I, I had the jersey. I wasn't much of an athlete. But so, so they wanted me to come, and they wanted me to, to share my testimony. They were going to video it, and they were going to show this video at an event. And, uh, and I remember, it, okay, so it was after Wednesday night church, and literally it's just some, like, college dude with a camera. I mean, it, it's very, and, and like 10 people were ever going to see it. I was petrified. I was petrified, and I was so nervous that every third word, I would interject the word Lord, Lord, like it was a prayer. And it was my testimony. I was born, and not, Lord, you know, I came, and I said, Lord. It, it was like the subliminal messaging thing that I couldn't stop, and I was, I was just so nervous. And so I, was, I became convinced that this, I, this cannot be right. This cannot be right. And so time kind of pressed on, and, and I got into college, and I had some other interests, and I thought maybe this would be the thing, and this would be the thing. And yet the Lord just kept bringing me back to ministry. And so ultimately, you people hired me to be your youth pastor, okay? And I still could not rub two syllables together, and I was terrified. And so this was, my, this was what happened in my thinking. I thought, well, you know, I'll just be that really cool relational guy that hangs out with everybody, and everybody just kind of listens to him preach because he's the nice guy that everybody likes, right? And so that, that was going to be my approach. And then in 2008, it was like God set my soul on fire. It, 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 was, it, was, it was almost like a second conversion experience. A, se a sequence of things happened in my life, but now I wanted to preach. Not only did I want to preach, I could. I could never do it before, but now I could do it. And I could do it with boldness and clarity and effectiveness. And I'm telling you, that's not me. That's not me. If you believe in a resurrected Savior, you have to believe in a Holy Spirit. And if you believe in the Holy Spirit, then you can believe that he will equip you to do what you cannot otherwise do. And I am convinced that in that moment, in 2008, that God filled me with the Holy Spirit and gave me a message to preach. To say, go where I tell you to go. Say what I say, tell you to say. And I'll do the rest. And brothers and sisters, if he will do it for a country boy in Rabbit Town like me, he will do it for every single one of you. Every single one of you.
You don't have the equipment that you need, but God is going to do the making, and God is going to equip you, and God is going to give you everything that you need to fulfill his call if you will just say, Lord, I am willing. I am willing. Are you willing? God equips and God empowers us. God empowers us. That it's not enough that God makes you able to preach. See, Jeremiah, and, I'm, and, and whatever that is in your context, Jeremiah had a harrowing call into ministry. A harrowing call. He, he was going to be hated by everybody, okay? Nobody likes Jeremiah. There's a reason we call him the weeping prophet. He's going to go to his friends and tell all of them off, okay? Nobody's going to like Jeremiah. He is not going to win most popular in the who's who of the prophets. He, he, in fact, Jeremiah is going to be taken out. He's going to be imprisoned. He's going to be put in, in fetters. He's going to be beaten and flogged. He's going to have his life constantly under threat almost every year of his life. So God recognizes this in Jeremiah. And listen to what he says in verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know, when somebody's afraid, there's two different ways that you can tell them not to be afraid. The first is you say, hey, stop it. Stop it. Don't be afraid. You know, we have a three-year-old in our house, and if you've ever been around a three-year-old, you know they're afraid of everything, right? And, and we have this little Josiah, and his room is right beside Megan and mine, and he's gotten this thing where he'll wake up in the middle of the night, and he'll say, Mama, Daddy, I'm afraid of the dog. I'm afraid of the dog. Right? And look, I'm not proud of this, even a little bit. I'm letting y'all way too into the workings of my house. But sometimes I'll just yell back, you're fine, go to sleep. <laughs> Y'all are judging me, I can feel it. <laughs> that's not very effective, is it? It's not very effective. The worst thing to tell somebody that's afraid is don't be afraid. Unless you do it the second way. Some days when I am filled with grace and peace. <laughs> he wakes up and he's afraid of the dark, Right? And I'll go in, and I'll pick up my son, and I'll pull him close to me, and then I'll say, you're fine. You can go back to sleep. I'm here. The Lord never yells at us, don't be afraid. The most common command in all of the Bible is do not be afraid. But the Lord doesn't say, Develop a stiffer spine and don't be afraid. And the Lord doesn't say, develop an iron jaw and don't be afraid. And the Lord doesn't say that it's not hard, don't be afraid. The Lord says, do not be afraid for I am with you. I am with you. I will go with you into the prison and I will go with you to the gallows. And I will go with you into the hard days and into the binds. I will go with you into the sleeplessness. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, they are terrifying, but I am greater than them. If you answer God's call on your life, I can make two promises to you. The first promise is that it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be terrifying. If God calls you to the ministry and you're not scared, you're arrogant. If God calls you to go to the mission field and you're not afraid, you're a fool. If God calls you to adopt or to foster children and it doesn't make you nervous, you have no understanding of the gravity of the work. The call of God on your life is an overwhelming and terrifying one. That's why you need the second part of the promise. I can promise you it's going to be terrifying, but I can promise you that God's going to go with you. And if you have confidence and faith and belief in the person of God, then you can go and you can do it anyway. 
You see, God doesn't just call and qualify. He commissions us. He tells us, go and do it. It's not an option. It's not a maybe. It's a command. This is who you will be, and this is what you will do, and this is when you will do it, and this is how you will do it. Go. You know, Mike Rowe had a a show that was pretty famous for a little while called Dirty Jobs. And and he would go and he would find people that were in all of these varied places, you know, like they're dealing with all the spit from the dentist office or something, you know, whatever the thing might be. And he would go and he would find these people that are doing this dirty work and he'd roll up his sleeves and he would jump right in there and deal with the spit beside them, right? And almost inevitably, he would come to the place and he would start talking to the people about their work. And he would discover something that was really pretty remarkable. He would discover that very often they were more highly paid than most of the people that had graduated from college. And he would also discover that very often they found their lives to be more satisfying than those that were doing other things. Now the question becomes, well, why, doesn't mo- why don't more people do those things? And you know why? Because it's hard. Because it's hard. And we've developed an allergy to hard work. And we've developed an allergy to doing hard things. And we've developed an allergy to doing dirty work. But brothers and sisters, if you're going to answer the call of God, if you're going to realize the fullness of what God has for you, what you have to recognize is that the call of God is hard work. It's hard work. If you look at the verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 1, you have really what is a summary of the commission of Jeremiah. It's his mission statement in the, in the prophecy. It tells you exactly what God has called him to do. He says, see, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. To build and to plant. There's these six verbs that show up right there in succession with one another. And if you keep reading on throughout the prophecy, what you'll see is these six verbs show up time and again. That This is the message of Jeremiah. And this is the ministry of Jeremiah. And this is the mission of Jeremiah. But I underline those first four to show you that there is an imbalance in the mission. That Jeremiah's mission is not primarily building and it is not primarily planting. It is primarily plucking up and breaking down, destroying and overthrowing. That primarily for Jeremiah is not to go and build a megachurch and be on Outreach Magazine's top 100 fastest growing ministries. At the top of the list for Jeremiah is to become a reviled man among a depraved generation for preaching the truth about God. It's going to be a dirty job. and It's going to be a hard job. And if you're going to follow after the Lord Jesus, I'll remind you this morning that you're following after a crucified Savior. You're following after one who was so burdened over the mission that God had given him that there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat great drops of blood and he asked the Lord if there was any way for his ministry and his mission to be other than it was that he let it be. And there's going to be days likely that if you answer God's call that you're going to go before the Lord and you're going to pray that the Lord will remove the cup from you, that the Lord would take the cross out of your ministry. If you're going to obey the Lord and you're going to follow after Jesus, then you're going to have to take up your cross. And you're going to have to go in the way of Jesus. In the second letter uh, to Timothy, Paul writes, Indeed, all, there's no exceptions, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We'll find it to be hard work. We'll find it to be harrowing work. 
will find it to be difficult work. Because when he told Jeremiah to go to the prophets and to preach, he might as well have told Jeremiah on the call of his ministry to go and to walk against the current of the Amazon River and to use every day of his life to do it. It was going to be a gut-wrenching, exhausting, difficult call, more known for tears than for parties. If God calls you to missions, I can't promise you you'll see a a single convert. God calls you to plant a church, I can't promise you that your church won't fail. God calls you to adopt a child, I can't promise you that the adoption will go smoothly or easily. If God calls you to start a Bible study at your work, I, I, can't, I can't promise you that anybody else is going to show up and that you won't be mocked. I, if God calls you to walk as a missionary at White Plains High School or Cleveland County High School, I can't promise you that you won't be ostracized. Instead, I actually can promise you that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But what I can tell you is that it's hard work, but there's a great reward. But Jeremiah goes and he does it anyway. And it's because Jeremiah's life was about more than Jeremiah's comfort. Jeremiah's life was more about, more than about what Jeremiah wanted. Jeremiah's life was what God was showing him by expanding the horizon and saying, yes, your ministry is plucking up and destroying. Your ministry is breaking down. But I'm going to use your judgment, your words of judgment to break through with a new covenant that is going to split the light and it is going to plant and build. That I'm going to use through judgment to bring about salvation and redemption for my people that is going to restore and renew them in a future generation in a way in which they will never be marched into exile again. Instead, instead they will come and they will reside and they will rest in me well salvation through judgment that reminds us of the cross doesn't it that reminds us of that cup that jesus did accept as the wrath of god was poured out over him as he hung for six hours bleeding and suffocating as he cried out it is finished He was crying out that the call on his life and the mission on his life had been fully completed, that he had accepted the mission, and he had followed it all the way to the end. And then three days later, resurrection came. And Jesus ascended to the right hand of his Father to take up his rightful place in the kingdom of God. And he has said that he has gone and prepared a place there for us. That his resurrection is our resurrection and his crown is our crown. And we will reign and rule with him over the cosmos for all eternity because he has verified it is true. Brothers and sisters, your work is going to be hard. Your work is going to be harrowing. It's hard and harrowing to raise up a generation of children in a gender-confused era. It's hard and harrowing to stand up for the truth of God's word in a world that wants to relativize truth to make it mean whatever they want it to mean. It's difficult and harrowing to to stay in committed relationships and to have a a marriage in the way that, that God has set before you in a generation that is calling you all the time to your own personal autonomy and freedom. It's difficult to be called to ministry more than perhaps any other time in church history to go and to commit your life to preaching these old truths that most people don't want to hear. It's difficult to have to root up your life and move to a strange place or move to a new nation where the language isn't familiar to you. It is hard. It is harrowing. But brothers and sisters, you should do it anyway because the cross was a victory, not a defeat. Because the resurrection has shown that a crown with unfading glory is surely yours and your hardship Your hardship is not a defeat. It's a down payment on the cross, on the crown that has been purchased for you already. So I conclude by giving you a commission. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. But do it every single second of it knowing that Jesus goes with us. Jesus is with us, was with us yesterday and Jesus is with us today. And Jesus will be with us tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church. And we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.